So this is going to be a very different Sunday preach, if you were to say that. Last week, I had an opportunity to be in the children's church, and I got to lead and have fun. I can say that. And what I did there last week, I'm pretty much going to do that here right now. Never done that before. I mean, I have been in children's church before, but not in a sense to duplicate what I did. And I had, it was a riot for me, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit why. And you can wonder, well, why am I back there? That's a legitimate question. And yes, there are needs. We have a lot of needs. Toddlers, big kids, yes. And that is part of it. But I wanted to give you just a little bit of perspective before I start of in part why I'm there. It doesn't explain everything, but it's, it's a part of the heart of why I'm serving there. And to understand that, you need to understand the events that happened on July 19, 2002. I'm sure you're searching back in your memory what you were doing at that time, if you were alive. It was in a sense, an ordinary day, at least as ordinary as it can be when you have four kids. Our youngest son was born on June 12th of 2002, so it's about five weeks after. And as this day was unfolded, Marie got all of the kids ready. We have four boys, so that in and of itself is a feat because they were going to take a trip. And because my youngest son, he's sitting right there, he was, at that point, five-plus weeks old. They were going to come to my... I was At that time, I was working at a law firm, and they had an office in Reston, Virginia, which in and of itself was an amazing answer to prayer on many levels of even being allowed to, to be there. And this was you know, right on the heels of the whole dot-com era, if you can remember that. And they, it was going to be my son's first trip to my office. So Marie got all the boys together, got them in the minivan, brought them to the office, and Rick Toring was actually there. So he can confirm everything I'm, I'm telling you, by the way. So they, it was first time my youngest son came to the office. Marie brought all the boys in, got to see Rick, took photos, et cetera, et cetera, and then I quit. <laughs> well, I had actually quit before, but that was my last day at the office. And we walked out of the, the office for me never to return. And I started my own business on that day. And I was talking to my father-in-law because I gave you the context. I have four boys. My youngest is now five weeks old. And I quit my job. So my father-in-law naturally asked me, so why did you quit your job? So I said to him, because I wanted to spend more time with my kids. It's just a simple answer. And Marie told me afterwards, she says, you know, Dwayne, um, I don't think he really fully appreciated your answer. You know, I'll, I do get paid, by the way, to deliver well-packaged answers, considering many things. In that sense, I didn't, I failed on, on that point. <laughs> I, I really, I, I had no thought of trying to package this in a palatable way so that he would understand, appreciate what was going on with me and my family and all this. I just, it boiled down to a very simple value for me. I just wanted to spend more time with my kids because I saw my path if I had stayed. And that 
wasn't a path I wanted to take. And it's nothing wrong with the path. And so there's an element of that. If, so if I had a title for today, it's spending more time with your kids. And I hope I can inspire you at some level. But I'm doing this in a way to recreate what happened last week in the children's church. And yeah, so to, to a degree, you're not listening to a preach. This is back to school night on a Sunday morning. Okay, so first slide, Gary. I'm going to put a slide up. This is how I started with the kids. And I'm going to, I have a question, and this is, I'm going to ask you where in the world this is from. So I do this with the kids because I love it, because they know I'm going to ask them a question. So in the back of their mind, they're trying to, you know, and there's one gal, Tommy's daughter. I do this. I've done this a number of times. She always knows. So I, I can't call on her now. I've learned enough, like, yeah, I can't call on her because she knows. And she came up to me. It's like, I know where it is. I'm like, oh, goodness. So I started, and we had 40 kids that day, so it was a little bit of a light show. We've had greater than 40. So I do my thing, and I'm like trying to figure out how many kids we have. And I say, okay, how many boys? Boys, raise your hand. Boys raise their hand, right? I ask girls, girls, raise your hand. And of course, they're doing that, and that's kind of a controversial thing today, isn't it? To even for me to ask that question. I'm just literally trying, I mean, I'm trying to work with the kids and they're fantastic. So I, we literally count out how many boys there were. There were 19 boys. And then somebody told me that by attendance there were 40 kids, that's how I knew it was 40. So of course my immediate thing, because it's Sunday school, I say, okay, we have 40 kids here and we have 19 boys as we just counted. How many girls are there? I mean, this is education, right? I know you're, you think you know the answer. And if, you, if it's a number, you're wrong. Because that's not the answer I gave him. Because all the boys are thinking, well, okay, yeah, boys can be good at math. 40 kids, 19 boys. The obvious answer they thought was 21 girls. I said, no. So what's really the answer? More than the boys. That's how many girls there are. More than the boys. And little did I know, I didn't do this intentionally, I'm just talking and having fun. Little did I know, I probably at that point in time instituted an entirely different dynamic in the room. Because if you know one thing about boys, and I have four of them, I've coached baseball teams, done the thing. If there's one thing you know about boys, if you want to motivate a boy, all, the, all you have to do, simple, keep score. That's all you have to do. Because there's an aspect of competitiveness in the boys that just starts to come to the fore. So when I basically said to them, how many girls are there? More than the boys. That probably changed the dynamic. So anyway, back to, so I did get to this. I'm not going to ask because there's so many of you, you're world travelers, blah, blah, blah. Next slide, Gary. This is the Edinburgh Castle in Scotland. I have no affinity to Scotland. I have no affinity to Edinburgh. Haven't been there. There's no particular sentimental value. I just went on to the internet, and I looked, well, what's the most famous castles? This is in the top 10. Edinburgh Castle, Scotland. Kyla knew it. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of things she knows that you don't know. <laughs> Edinburgh, Scotland. All right, so we had fun. Okay, next slide. 
this is what I next bridged to. And it's like, it's a castle. And I said, there's this well-known saying, a man's home is his castle. So I then started to explain to the kids, you know where this came from? That phrase, a man's home is his castle, is from the British common law in 1604. It was probably one of the first times it was stated. Okay, I, I know you're thinking to myself that I probably got a lot of blank stares from the kids, and you are correct. But it was like an Easter egg, because there's a point. Pointing out to you. I didn't think I was going to preach to you, but I guess now I am. In the British common law, the phrase, a man's home is castle, was to, in a sense, codify and give, in a sense, a right to the husband and wife to defend their home. Codified in the common law that they had a right to defend their home, even should there be an incursion from the king. Huh. Kind of relevant today, isn't it? that one of the largest, in a sense, impetus in terms of actions that is now current, in a sense, is taking away the right to defend. Because who's in the home? Your kids. It's your children. I didn't get to explain this, by the way, all to the kids, because you know, they're thinking British common law, 1604, and that's pretty much where it ended. So next slide, Gary. So then I asked them the question, what are the walls for? Because that's the whole point of me coming. I thought it was a beautiful picture, by the way. I mean, you've got, I mean, that thing looks like a structure that you can defend now, doesn't it? It's got a castle, legit castle. It's got walls. It's on a hill. I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing about boys as an example. Something innately, if you have a mound of dirt, what do you think happens? King of the hill. I mean, it's pretty basic. Boys will have a lot of time that they will enjoy themselves and create things to do if you just give them a mound of dirt. See, big, boy, big boys do this, right? So what are the walls for? I asked this of the children, and I explained to them, you know, the notion of fortress, et cetera, et cetera. And their answers were astounding. Three particularly that I remembered. First thing, it's like, what are the walls for? Like, protection from who, what? First answer, bad guys! Of course, I'm just messing with them, so I say, well, what about the bad girls? <laughs> I, I got no answer to that, by the way. Bad guys! <laughs> okay, makes sense. Number two, another kid. I presume these are all boys, by the way. I, I, I can't remember. It was just 40 kids, right? Answer number two, what, do you, what are the walls for? Wild animals. Okay. Let's move on. Anybody else? Dragons. <laughs> Nate, by the way, was there. I got more to say about Nate. And I say these answers were astounding because they were basically quoting the Bible to me and they didn't realize it. If you, were, if you have a home and you represent the walls, that's obviously where I'm going, there are three areas of protection that you need, three actors 
bad guys, yes, there are bad people. There are actors in the world that you should protect your home for. Number two, wild animals. Exodus 23. I know this because that was the first sermon I ever preached was Exodus 23. That if you do not increase to be able to govern the land, wild animals will roam. So effectively what the kids were saying is that to the walls as protection for the wild animals represents governance so that you don't have chaos in your house. They're basically quoting Exodus 23 and they didn't necessarily realize it. And of course, dragons! Revelation 13, Revelation 20. The dragon is a serpent of old, the devil. Oh, there is a motivating force behind a lot of what you see in the world today. And that is absolutely something that the walls are for. Bad actors, bad guys, wild animals, we need governance. Number three, the dragon, dragons, evil. <laughs> I'm having a good time, by the way, with this. So I had planned this, so I, now we'd established what are the walls for? Now there are different options because you have different types of walls, so I thought, I like to give easy questions because there's easy answers as a leader. I like easy questions. I thought this was a unique question. So I said to them, okay, next slide. These are your options. What kind of wall would you like? This is option A. Okay, take a good look. Option A, example of walls. Next slide, option B. I'm thinking I'm giving them an easy question. Or so I thought. And then I got schooled. Because I'm thinking everybody's like, let's go back to option A. I'm thinking option A, right? All the girls are like, yeah, option A. Why? Well, because you know one of the top five needs of women is security. The boys didn't go for option A. <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious. I'm asking, option A or option B? All the boys, well, maybe not all the boys, but a lot of the boys, option B! I'm thinking, I didn't plan for this. And then, as I said, remember that question I asked about there being more boys and I mean, more girls than boys? Oh, I had unleashed something. I didn't realize it. Now I'm paying the price, but it was fun. Option B, you see, A lot of boys, mayhem and destruction is not foreign. And there's something when they look at this that gets them excited because boys turn into men and men can be dangerous. And by the way, you know, along the way, Katie was there and she was, I mean, the boys were like, engaged now and Katie's telling me afterwards like yeah there came a point that I was like yeah I'm done with this I'm I'm done and the boys are just like yeah mayhem destruction I like option B <laughs> and it's funny boys become men men deal with the reality that there are three things, remember what the kids said, that they have to protect as the walls protect you. What are walls for? Bad guys, 
wild animals, dragons. It helps if you know what you're protecting and what the risks are. There is mayhem, there is destruction that is possible, and you cannot be naive about it. So the boys, in understanding that, oh yeah, they learn at an early age, there is things called mayhem and destruction, and for them now to be in the place, boys to men, that they are dangerous. And dangerous men do not ignore the risks, because there are risks. This sermon is not all about boys, by the way. But it was fascinating to me, fascinating, that I had unleashed, subconsciously unleashed, maybe I really just wanted to unleash this thing, I don't know, but the boys are absolutely like, yeah, option B. There's something thrilling about it that they saw. Next slide, Gary. You know this, it's obvious. Parents of the walls of your family castle. And then next slide, Gary. So I asked him this question, who has the harder job? Because all the kids know, I mean, they're living their best life. Whatever I want, whatever I want to do. Mommy can I do this, daddy can I do that. I mean, they're living their best life. So I had asked, Suzanne Ripley was in there working, and I asked her, I needed an example. So I asked her to get Nate, and I said, so I talked, chatted to Nate, and I said, Nate, I just need you to be a wallflower. If you know Nate, is there anything he is, he's not a wallflower. <laughs> but I had Nate and Suzanne come up, and I had them just stand to represent husband and wife, the walls, and then we had more fun. I told the kids we had a special guest coming. Of course, one of the kids was like, Santa Claus? <laughs> no, you get Nate Ripley. <laughs> anyway, so I had Nate and Suzanne stand up there. And now I, had, I ask questions. If you don't know me very well, you know that I ask a lot of questions. It was, there was a point. So I had Nate and Suzanne stand up there. And now I say, okay, kids, think about Let's Think about this. The parents represent the walls of the family castle. And there is, because now it's very much in play, that there is a reality that there is somebody, dragons, bent on mayhem and destruction, and particularly destruction, unapologetically. So I said, think about this. Think strategically. If you were the bad guy, what would you do to this couple representing the walls? Think about this. I opened the mic up. <laughs> this is the part that Katie really didn't like. The boys. Destroy them! <laughs> Bomb them! <laughs> and then... You know, sometimes you have a clarion call that comes out that is just like so shocking in its brilliance. And you're like, I'm out of my depth. I mean, Nate and Suzanne are like getting pummeled with these, bomb them, destroy them. And another kid, 
He raises his hand. Cut off their food supply. <laughs> Nate, I'm standing next to Nate now, right? And Nate and I are like looking at each other like, do we have a military strategist in the room? Like, what, 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 what is going on? I mean, these kids, these are just kids, right? I'm just telling them, put yourself in the mind of a strategist. And they come up with literal military strategy. If you're going to seize your castle, you cut off their food supply. <laughs> Who's teaching who? <laughs> Who's teaching who? Yes, this is entertaining, I trust. But there was a point. So we went through the negative stuff, and then we turned it around. I said, okay, bomb them, <laughs> destroy them, cut off their food supply. Now I said, okay, now we're turning it around. Now put yourself in the mind of God. Knowing what's at stake, knowing the risk, knowing the intention of the evil one, what, if you were God, what do you feel like God would say to Nate and Suzanne, representing the parents? I wrote a couple notes. I just want to make sure I don't. First thing that came up. It's a kid. I'm basically giving a kid's open mic, in a sense, an opportunity to prophesy now over Nate and Suzanne. First words. Be strong. Who's teaching who? Who's ministering to who? Be strong. He is protecting you. He loves you. This is the children putting themselves, having full cognizance of the risks and what was at stake, and now putting themselves in the, in the sense of shoes of God and saying, what, does, what do you feel like God wants to say to you in this situation? Be strong. He's protecting you. He loves you. I mean, what else do you need to say? If you cannot be encouraged and exhorted by something like that out of the mouth of the children. So we had Nate and Suzanne. I said, hold their hands. Nate, I got to say, I was, I was laughing at this, by the way. I said, hey, Nate, Nate and Suzanne, is it okay if we pray for you? Just, the kids just prophesied over you now. Now I'm going to pray for you. So Nate and Suzanne hold hands. And their faces, it's like they're in a wedding ceremony. It was hilarious. I, I personally absolutely loved it. Well done, Nate. Well done. And we just prayed for them. Exactly what the kids said God was saying. Be strong. He's protecting you. He loves you. So I'm going to do this very quickly. If you're a parent, if you're sitting next to your spouse, even better, just hold their hand. If your spouse is not with you, that's okay. In the spirit, hold their hand. Because I'm just going to pray for you. Because you are the walls of the castle. And there is an enemy and yet God has a message for you, which the kids just prophesied last week, which I'm now repeating. 
Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these men and women that are enduring and have endured. Protection, hedge of protection around them in the name of Jesus. I say, let your love be known, felt, cherished, because you are good. And I just even release upon them more of you, your spirit, your strategy, your guidance, and most of all, your encouragement for what they undertake to do and to be which is to be strength for their family and their children. So we bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Didn't end there, but I was having, at this point in time, a riot. Parents are the walls. And so then I flashed up this next slide. If you could do that, Gary. Covering. And I explained to them, so it's funny. I mean, it's just ministry, right? And you're doing stuff. And, and a lot of times in ministry, you just kind of start pulling on a thread. Like something strikes you. Something just catches your attention. And you just start pulling on that thread and you start talking about it, thinking about it. And so we had a couple of helpers. We had some of the, that are now in the junior youth program right now, and we had two helpers, and they were both 13 years old, and one of them, her birthday was just this past week. It just struck me. I'm like, hmm, interesting, because I know what I'm going to talk about. And if you know Bible, don't get super spiritual on me, but it's just real. The number 13 in the Bible represents rebellion. Just what it represents. I wasn't prophesying rebellion, by the way, over any of the kids. I'm just saying it is the significance of the number. That's the age of adulthood majority when you make decisions that actually count. It's true. So I wanted to illustrate something and I flash this onto the screen for the kids because it's an illustration of parents and the covering. I mean, it's raining. Not talking to the boys per se, but you know, because some boys don't mind just getting wet and just getting dirty and muddy and blah, blah, blah. I said, but nonetheless, that's why there's a girl in the picture, right? She's happily under the covering of the umbrella, and it's raining, and she's having a good time. Nice picture. Next picture. That's the alternative. No covering. Just explaining the concept in picture form to the children. That without covering, yeah, you get wet. It's not pleasant. I called Nate's son up here, up to the front, and I had, I did have an umbrella, but I wanted him to understand some of what the covering is. And I called him up, and I had him face all the kids. And I said to the kids, let me explain what it's like to, for your parents, because they're your covering. And they're taking hits, and you're just like happily, go back to the previous slide, Gary. As a kid, I mean, 
there's stuff happening, and you're blissfully unaware, you're under the covering, and you're just having a great time. You're like, what's the problem? So I had Nate's son come up, and he stood facing all the kids. And I said, let me explain to you what it's like to be a parent. I just want you to appreciate your parents. So he stands up facing it, and I was like, none of you, like, see what's going on. And I just start jabbing him with this umbrella in his back, like pushing him and jabbing him, and he's smiling because, you know, mayhem. And I said, this is kind of what it looks like with parents. Because they're just getting hit and pummeled, and you're like, oh, my goodness, like, what's for dinner? So I said to the kids, I'm like, you know, sometimes your parents might not look that happy, might not look enthusiastic, might look a little worn down. I said, because... So I hope they remembered that and will give you a little bit of grace when you're just taking the hits and they would just want to know, uh, what's for dinner? I don't like that. Is there a better option? So the notion of covering is a very interesting thing, and I use this for the children. And I had to illustrate it, of course, so I did. And I use the 13-year-old as I'm not prophesying with the 13-year-old, but there's realities to 13 teenagers, right? It's the start of teenagerhood. And I said, this is what it looks like, kids, with covering. Okay, this is not a reflection of my parenting skill. <laughs> it's an umbrella, right? And I said, this is what it practically looks like because we're talking about being undercover. And I use the 13-year-old example. So your parents might come to you and say, Hey, can you take out the trash? No answer. Just ignoring. And of course, the request comes again. Hey, you know, I asked you to take out the trash. Would you go do that? Nah, not a good time for me. Maybe somebody else can do it. I mean, I'm, I got some important stuff going on. And the parents are like, Okay, I really need you to take out the trash. I mean, you heard what I said. Not really a good time for me. And an event becomes a lifestyle, and they get older in their teenagerhood, and their crest keeps coming. Hey, you know, I told you to take out the trash. Yeah, I heard you. You're not the boss of me, though. So find somebody else to do it. Next slide, Gary. That's how you get this. This is for you adults. Just appreciate the picture of covering because you are that covering. And there's always a choice of whether somebody is going to remain under your covering. There is a choice via rebellion that your kids can decide whether they want to maintain under your protection and your covering. And if they so choose to rebel outside of your covering, they have, in a sense, removed themselves from a legitimate chain of authority, covering, taken themselves outside, and are now under illegitimate authority with the consequences to boot. It's not all about kids. There was an Easter egg in there for you because that's how you get to make those choices regarding all of the authority structures that you are under.
but we're talking about kids. I just use this illustration because there was an encouragement, of course, which is now the next slide. And you're thinking, yeah, this is the good stuff now. Parents are like, yeah, good verse. Love this verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you. As I said, your whole parents are like, solid verse. I mean, you should do the Bible, kids. I mean, it's a good idea. You should do the Bible. I mean, because this really is good for you, because that's what the verse says, right? And of course, as parents, it's just like, yeah. The parenting handbook is a little bit more complicated than just quoting this verse. And of course, I could tell you that would be helpful to you as parents to be more obeyable and more honorable. That's true, too. And I was just praying about this because, you know, I want to be helpful versus not. And this morning, you know, I was just reading Proverbs. And there's one thing I love about Proverbs. It makes no bones about it. There is a path. There's a path of the righteous and there's a path of the wicked. There is a path. And there's a temp temptation if I were to read this verse and as a parent, believe me, I love the verse. And there is a temptation that we would have and resist this temptation, please. You are not a rule-making compliance officer. I mean, can you make rules? Yes. Can you ensure compliance? Yes. But that's not really what you are as parents. It is if all you were to look at were the infractions of the day and the particular rules that were not being followed and adhered to, it would be true if that was your only focus. But there is a path. There is a photo in my house in the basement, and Justin, who's also, it's just a unique thing that all four of my boys are here, but there is a photo in my basement when Justin was one year old. And what struck me about this photo, I remember that, I, I remember what struck me about this photo years and years ago is that there are so many possibilities for him. There were so many possibilities in the mind of God of what could unfold out of his life, of what God had put in him, skills, gifts, etc., 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 but there were so many paths that could unfold, and as we know, bad choices lead to further bad choices, and unintended, you can end up in places like, I didn't want to end up here, but a lot, a lot of those times, those are just a product of little choices along the way. And all of these were in place. I looked at this photo years ago, and I just knew, God, there's so many possibilities in your mind. Help me to help him realize your mind and intention. And it is that perspective which takes you far beyond what is an incident-based compliance officer mentality to a broad perspective of the child in the fullness of what God's vision is. Is that easy? No, it's not. 
I dare say many of you already have inklings of already that, this rumbling around in your heart as you think of thoughts that you had before they were born, prophetic words that were given to them, just senses that you had of just their uniqueness and their gifting. And you could just see paths and possibilities. And as a parent, your desire is, I... It's like you just carry that. That's what parents do. And I want to encourage you in that. Because that's a big part of being a mom and dad. Let's come back full circle now. It's why I told you the story I did at the beginning. I didn't have an artful response to my father-in-law when he was asked, why did you quit your job? Like he's thinking, I mean, you've got four kids now and you're just taking risks and you're putting their lives, it's his daughter. And the only thing I had in my head, not even articulating very well, as I said, was I just wanted to spend more time with my kids. I didn't really know much beyond that. And I can tell you that events unfolded that can be traced back to that decision that took our lives in places that we didn't even expect, probably for our children's lives as well. Decision-making in the fullness of how is it going to work out? What is it going to look like? Is this going to be a good thing? Ah, yeah, fine. But there's an aspect of what I am hoping I can just inspire you today. That of an attitude to your children of just, of your hearts being turned to them. And what unfolds out of that, do not ever limit what that now is able to unfold and what now becomes possible. Because that is just the heart of God. You might end up in places that you're like, whoa, how did I get here? But if I were to leave you with anything, that should a thought come up into your mind and say, you know, I just want to spend some time with them. that small decision can, has the potential to unleash a lot more than you think. They're his children. You have the benefit. In the mind of God, he saw fit to put this child into your domain and custody, to bring into the fullness of his mind what he believes is possible. And... Most parents will focus on what they haven't done, they could do better, blah, blah, blah. You are uniquely qualified to bring forth for your child what is in the mind of God. If that were not true, well, I could logically take you through that. But just trust me on that. Your child in your household means that you are uniquely qualified to bring the fullness of his plan that they have for them into reality. And oftentimes it just says, and by time, please, I'm not talking about you know, scheduling it up, iCal appointments, quality time. Yeah, that's true. But a big part of it is as simple as your attention being turned to them. 
one of the, I'll just leave this closing thought, because I had a lot of fun with the boys. And in the end, I had an opportunity just as it worked out. I was with all the uh, young girls, probably aged like, I think, 7 to 11. All these young girls, which I don't have sisters, I don't have daughters, I have a granddaughter. And what was so fascinating about it and what I loved as I was chatting to the girls and I'm asking questions and... What I most love, and there's some of their answers were truly beyond articulate. I mean, like different species, kind of, so good. But what I love to see in their eyes as I'm asking some of their questions, and you could just see it, that rising up in them sometimes, it was just like this super uber excitement. They just had so much to share. I love to see that in the eyes of children. I just, it warms my heart. Because that just, all that means is that they want to share and that you're willing to listen to what they have to say. That's all it means. So, back to school night on a Sunday morning. This is what we did last week at the Children's Church. I was quite frankly blessed by it. And in the, it's been a seasonal thing for the last three or four months because I've kind of popped back and forth. And in my mind, one of my main goals is to turn the hearts of the children to their parents and turn the hearts of the parents to their children. That's all I'm trying to do. When I'm in the children's church, I am trying to just push them to you as the ones who so love them, care for them, and I'm just doing the reverse here, which is turn the hearts of the parents to the children. Because in the mind of God, they are precious. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to close in prayer. And I'm just going to pray for us, parents and children. Okay? So just close your eyes. Lord God. I just want to thank you for families, for families. That's always been your plan. And you have so blessed so many families here with children. And we thank you for the children are a blessing. And I ask, Lord, that you would give families an increasing amount of grace in these times to enjoy you and to enjoy each other. I do thank you, Lord. Amen.